if you're part of the uh, liturgical churches of the United States, the first Sunday of Lent, we always have, we have an encounter with the devil. We have the temptation stories. So whether you're a member of the Methodist Church, Roman Catholic Church, Episcopal Church, Lutheran Church, all those liturgical churches, we're always dealing on the first Sunday of Lent with the story of the temptations. It appears in the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It doesn't appear in John's gospel, but it appears in those three gospels. Mark's gospel uh, only tells us that Jesus is thrown into the wilderness and is tempted by the devil, but doesn't tell us any of the circumstances of that episode. Matthew and Luke gives us a blow-by-blow account of what happens to Jesus. And I always like having the devil introduced to the church at least once a year. Uh, so that we can come to grips with the devil at least once a year and understand something about it. And I would suggest to you that there are three important things that we need to understand about this. The first one is this, is that the devil is pictured as a person because evil is experienced in an intensely personal way. Just as God is personified because love is experienced in a very personal way, so evil is also experienced in a very personal way. The second thing to remind us is that the devil is given a separate experience, existence, not because evil rises outside of us, but because evil is experienced as something greater than us, and we have to wrestle with that. And the last thing that I know about the devil is this. The devil is exceedingly subtle and smart. If you think you're smart, the devil is smarter. If you think you're smarter than the average apple, the devil is smartest than the average apple. If you graduated cum laude from college, the devil graduated magna cum laude from college. If you graduated magna cum laude from college, the devil graduated summa magna cum laude from college. And if you graduated summa magna cum laude from college, the devil graduated summa summa magna cum laude from college. The devil is smarter than you are. And appeal always appears to us at some of our weakest spaces, and that usually is our intellect, because the intellect, as you well know, can justify just about everything for ourselves. I don't know if you've ever encountered the murder in the cathedral, the play by by Thomas uh, T.S. Eliot. In it, one of the characters is Beckett, and he faces four temptations in this drama. The first three temptations in the drama are identical to the temptations that Jesus experiences. And then there's a fourth temptation that Beckett experiences in that drama. And he has to confront that particular temptation. And what I love about the conclusion of that temptation is when Beckett concludes this, which is important and relevant for our understanding of this temptation stories in the biblical narratives. And this is what Beckett concludes. The last temptation is the greatest treason to do the right deed for the wrong reason. The last temptation is the greatest treason, to do the right deed for the wrong reason. And I think to me, for me, the dyna- that dynamic underlies all of the biblical temptation stories. The temptations for Jesus were to be relevant, the temptation to be spectacular, to be powerful. Jesus is confronted with an opportunity to be something that he is not, and he is able to turn them away because he sees them as an invitation to compromise himself. I'm giving you the end of the sermon first, so let's step back and look at the story today. 
The first thing we learn from this particular story is that Jesus has just had his baptism. We're in chapter 4 of Matthew's Gospel. In the third chapter of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is baptized. And you remember that story of the baptism. Just as he's being baptized, the heavens part, a dove descends, and a voice from heaven comes down that says, This is my beloved Son. With you, with him, I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son. With him, I am well pleased. In a sense, it's an affirmation of Jesus' identity. So it is for you and for me. At our baptism, we gain our identity, the most important identity of our lives. We have all sorts of other manners of identifying ourselves. I'm a father. I work. I'm a friend to people. I do this. I do that. All those things identify who I am. But at the core, and hard to remember, is that I also heard, and it was pronounced at my baptism, as it was pronounced at your baptism, that when you were baptized, those words were heard from heaven. You are my beloved son or daughter, and with you I am well pleased. What great way to identify yourself. That is your identity. That is my identity. I've told this to this congregation a thousand times, and I'll say it a thousand and one times. If we had had more money, I would have really, when we renovated this church in 2008, I would have made sure that we would have had a, a retractable cupola. That middle section of our church would be a retractable dome like it is at a baseball stadium. And as we were having every baptism in this church, that dome would open up, a dove would descend down the middle of the opening in the dome, and it would hover over this baptismal font. And as it hovers over the baptismal font, over the loudspeakers, everybody would hear the words that it said at that person's baptism and at your baptism. You are God's beloved. And with you, God is very well pleased. That's your identity. And the rest of our lives is wrestling how we live with that identity how you define that identity for yourself. Jesus gets baptized, and then we find out that the devil is not the one driving him into the wilderness. The Spirit of God drives Jesus into the wilderness. It's not the devil. Alfred North Whitehead, the philosopher, one time said that religion is what people do with their solitude. Religion is what people do with their solitude. And I think there's a great deal of truth to that. Not loneliness, solitude. Finding space in your life to be able to reflect about who you are, to whom you belong, and what your mission is in this world. And I think it can happen especially so in solitude. And so Jesus is thrown into the wilderness by the devil, not by the devil, by the Spirit of God. So he has to wrestle with himself. And the devil tempts him with three temptations. Turn these stones into bread. Throw yourself from the pinnacle so you can prove that God exists. Become the most powerful human being on the face of the earth. That's the bargain the devil drives with Jesus. None of those are bad, mind you. Think about it. What's wrong with creating more bread in this world? In Jesus' time, you can bet your sweet dollar that there were plenty of hungry people just as there are plenty of hungry people in the United States right now. What, what's wrong with doing that? It's reasonable. It's a good thing. It's a realistic thing. The devil offers Jesus an opportunity to become a giant pepperidge farm. Think about that. Able to feed everybody with good bread and sweets. 
And Jesus says, no. Then the devil tempts him and says, jump off the pinnacle of the temple. And if you jump off, the angels will catch you, and it will be a miracle, and everybody will know that, that, that we'll have the proof of the existence of God. Can you imagine that? That we would all have proof of the existence of God? How good would that be? It's reasonable. It's important. And the last one says, you know, if you stand here, I will give you all the governments of the world. And if you accept my temptation, you'll be able to govern everywhere in the world. Now, I don't know where you are with this, but wouldn't it be sweet of Jesus, we're the president, the prime minister of every country in the world? It would be a very peaceful existence, don't you think? Jesus would be telling all of us, do this, do that. This is what's good for you. This is what's good for everybody. Of course, we would have to sacrifice our freedom, which is a pretty high price to pay. But nonetheless, it's a good thing. And we would have peace on earth throughout all of our existence. But Jesus says, no, that's not my highest calling. I will not allow the good in me to be usurped by the best. And what Jesus remembers are those words at baptism, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And Jesus realizes that his highest calling is to be the Messiah of the world, the Savior of the world. And in order to be the Savior of the world, he has to resist the wiles of the tempter. How about you? How about me? I want to suggest to you that the devil always comes to us asking for something reasonable in our lives. If it were obviously bad, I know that every member of St. John's Church would say, oh no, I don't want any part of that. That looks evil to me. But think about all the compromises we make for ourselves. Think about all the shortcuts that we make for ourselves. Think about all the times that we have turned our faces or our backs on something that is important, and we say, well, I'll just be able to live with it. There's a wonderful play called A Thousand Clowns. It's written by Herb Gardner, and of course, in a play, everything is overstated. And there are two brothers in the play who are having a conversation. In the play, there's one brother who's a very successful business type, but seems to be miserable with himself. And then the other brother is a ne'er-do-well who seems to be at peace with himself. And the brother who is the business person who doesn't seem to be at peace with himself says this in the play. I am not an exceptional man, so it is possible for me to stay with things the way they are. I have a talent for surrender. I am at peace. Then he says, all I can do is worry for you, but I do not worry for myself. You cannot convince me that I am one of the bad guys. I get up, I go, I lie a little, I pedal a little, I watch the rules, I talk the talk. We fellows have those offices high up there so that we can catch the wind and go with it, however it happens to blow. I always think that the devil is inviting all of us, urging us to be realistic to be reasonable, to compromise the calling we received in baptism, to allow the good to usurp the best in us. I don't know how many of you had a chance to read that book that came out about 12 years ago. It's entitled Good to Great. It's a business book. It's a great book, a wonderful book. And the very first line of that book is this, good is the enemy of great. 
good is the enemy of great. Now, I don't like the word great, so I'd like to substitute it by saying good is the enemy of the best. Good is the enemy of the best in each of us. And I think for all of us, is the question is, what's the best in us? If God has proclaimed you as God's beloved with whom God is very well pleased, and that is your identity, the challenge for the rest of our lives is, what's the best you've got to offer the world? Not what's good, not what's average, not what is okay, not where I can count court corner, cut corners. What is the very best that I've got to offer to this world? Ask yourself the question. What's the best you can offer to your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend, whomever you happen to be in love with? If you have children, what's the very best you can offer our children? And if you're a child, what's the very best that you can offer to your parents? What's the very best that you can offer in the workplace? What's the very best that you can offer to your friends? What's the very best that you can offer to this community? And as a community, what's the very best that we can offer other people? What's the very best that defines us as a community and as a nation? I think that's what God is calling forth from us. And the temptation is always, always to allow the good to usurp the best in us, to compromise our ideals and just say, well, it's okay. We'll go along. It'll be all right if we go along these ways. I think the temptation stories are great, important stories for our life. It's not temptation for the obvious evil. It's temptation at our higher nature, always asking us to usurp the good for the very best in us. What we do know is that as we resist the wiles of the tempter, at the very end, the angels will come and minister to us. Amen.